Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So in addition to being the State of the Union, it's also the third anniversary of us having a plot for... Three whole years. That's like an eternity in podcast. Very many weeks. No, we really haven't. I mean, like something has to go really wrong. We have to be traveling very far away, or something really serious has happened. We haven't done a like. Sorry, I just can't really get it together this week. We don't think we've had even when we're not on our A game. Yes, when, we when still push out a 20% mediocre show. <laughs> and you all usually send us Facebook notes <laughs> and we, about it. we appreciate all of them. Uh. <laughs> um, yeah, so three years ago, State of the Union radio coverage for NPR, and I had taken the last sandwich from the meal they had for everybody, and because I was four months pregnant, I was like, I'm taking the sandwich before anybody else does. And then Moraliason comes in and says, why are there no, why isn't there any food? I was like, I don't know how, um, I don't know, don't look at me. <laughs> and that, that was memorable. And then I said, Kristen, I have an idea, let's go out for coffee. And so, so I'm so excited that we're still doing this, and you guys are still here and Thank still you listening. For listening. Yeah, you know, somebody came to visit, a consultant came to visit us at the office yesterday and he said his office is at a WeWork and he was talking to one of his colleagues at the local WeWork. I don't at that like coffee area of the WeWork. I don't know if it was WeWork White House or WeWork Navy Yards or WeWork Penn Court. I don't know which one it was or even how many others are. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go visit Margie and the folks at GBA. And somebody said at the coffee place, oh Margie from the pollsters. Hey. <laughs> I know I'm like those, you know, candidates are like you know, you sent out a mail piece and now the people pumping my gas. I'll, I'll know we've really succeeded when people consistently pronounce our names correctly. Yes. When when you're not Maggie and I'm not Christine or Kirsten. Yes. When 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 the world finally gets to that point. Yeah, I'll I know, right? The world being like three or four WeWorks in Washington. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, we're totally going to tag WeWork. Hopefully they're paying attention. Yes. So, Kristen, what – are the top lines. And what song do you think best encapsulates how we feel about this week? Well, I think you've chosen a, a pretty appropriate one. That, you know, bullying, junior high bullying finally came in handy. <laughs> I remember of me, not me, of other people. This, <laughs> people this say song. if you talk too much. Yeah, I know. Can you believe it? You know who else talked too much? <laughs> President of the United States gave a very long State of the Union this week, but he's Mr. 40%. We'll talk about whether those snap polls that came out checking people's reactions to the State of the Union, are they really good news for the White House? Do they mean anything? Do they match up well in historical context? We'll also talk a little bit about the midterms that are going to be fought in states and districts across the country. How's that landscape looking? We'll do a quick millennial watch. Do people think the government is too helpful to America's young people? And how are 
millennials thinking about the political parties. And we aren't just pundits. We are the pollsters. So we'll talk about polling methodology. Pew has a new report out on waiting, and it will let us nerd out. And then there's the big game, which I think you can't call the Super Bowl, which I now just have. Oh, no, because remember we talked about this last week and we wanted Roger Goodell to sue us. Yes. For using- All right. <laughs> Yo, Raj, we're calling it the Super Bowl. <laughs> we'll talk about polling from our friends at Monmouth <laughs> on right. who is America's team going into this game. But first, let's go across the ocean to Italy. There will be an election held there on March 4th, and it is not looking at this point like there is going to be a consensus uh, and a government that can form. So as parliamentary systems are wont to do, there are many parties, none of which in Italy's election appear to be poised to get 50%. But there's also not a ton of interest, it seems, in creating a governing coalition. You have the right-wing party at uh, 38.4%, uh, that sort of right-wing coalition. Uh, you have a coalition of the center-left at 27%. You have Five Star, which is not interested in any coalitions, at 27%. And you have Free and Equal, which was described by, I presume this was Ryan's note, not yours, that said, they are essentially the Italian Berniecrats who won't hang out with the other leftists anymore. Yeah, that I feel like me. that wasn't you. That wasn't I feel me. like that was Ryan. <laughs> that was Ryan's editorializing. <laughs> that was not me. Editorializing. Uh, so Free and Equal, presumably a more popular left of center party, not in the coalition of the center left at the moment. And so nobody gets to 50%. What do you do? Yeah. I So that right-wing coalition, I'm assuming, includes Forza Italia, which is Berlusconi's party. Um, Berlusconi, I think a lot of people have sort of likened him to Trump in a variety of ways in terms of tastes and appetites and, you know, media I don't know if savvy's the quite domination. They, they get television prominence, as a medium. Maybe. They kind of yeah. this no publicity is bad publicity. Right. Mo. Yeah. Uh, so five star is the party that on its own has the biggest vote share uh, at twenty seven percent. These others are like coalitions of a couple different parties. Five star, if you're not familiar with Italian politics, was started by a comedian. Like I, I and I, for comparative politics experts, correct me if I've misdescribed this, but my perception of them has always been that it's kind of like if Stephen Colbert started an actual political party, right? And you had about a quarter of America that was like, sure, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> everything's stupid. So yes, cut to our fourth anniversary show. <laughs> We're like, how did this happen? <laughs> How did we not see it when we were talking about the Italian election? Um, you know, when I see these, and this is every time we talk about these um, international elections where there are multiple parties, and so n- rarely does one party have a very, you know, have a majority or really seem to be breaking away, n- not often. Um, and so I just look at this and think, oh my gosh, I hope the polling, I hope the polls get it right because everybody's so close that you could have, you know, you could have a poll that shows one party is, you know, up to and but margin of error really they're, you know, they're in third place, have second place. I mean, with the these kinds of margins, like I feel like it's a nail biter from the polling got it wrong thing that there, everybody there kind are, of roots for. For some there reason. are many moments when I will look at parliamentary systems across the ocean and I will think, hmm, 
It's interesting. It's interesting. It's kind of neat. The idea that, you know, if let's say I'm the type, hypothetically, let's say I'm the type of Republican who's not crazy about the Trump administration and the direction that it's taken the party. Hypothetically. Right. Uh, You've read Juliana Glover's editorial in the New York Times (laughs) and you think, it me, right? It me. It me. (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't just have two choices, if we had a bunch of different choices and you could go... I could go find all my fellow, like, people with, you know, big cutout heart pictures of, like, Jeb Bush and Condi Rice and Nikki Haley in my locker and, like, that, you know, make that my party. And then wouldn't this be great? But the downside of that kind of system is you can have elections and not – I mean, at least we get a government at the end. Like, someone's running the show. Yeah. The people decide and someone's in charge. Yeah, kind of. And here they could go through this whole thing and have an election and still no one can form a coalition and they just got to do the whole thing over again. Yeah. All right, everybody, let's vote again. Yeah. And so that's a real downside to the parliamentary system, folks. It's uh, it's not great. Yeah. Well, at any rate, we'll keep an eye on it and talk about it again as – gets in the home stretch. That election is in March. So it's in about a month from now. So we will see. So now let's talk a little bit about Mr. 40%. Huffington yeah, Post- we know why you're here. <laughs> Mr. 40%. Uh, Huffington Post polling average 40.6% approve as of press time. Uh, as we have noted, this is now a sustained slight improvement over where things were before uh, the holidays really got underway, before the tax bill passed. Correlation is not causation, but I think that that is a curious enough coincidence uh, that if you ask me, what's the reason why Trump's up in the polls? I am a believer. Everybody loves a winner. Just the mere fact of having passed something, I think, maybe what's given him this extra two or three points. But the State of the Union, I'm skeptical that it will move numbers at all in any direction. Margie, can you think of a time a State of the Union has ever moved a president's job no. numbers? No, no. I, I can't, and I think Harry Enten like tweeted out like he did some kind of comparison and said that you know here's the average change zero, and, you know, and part of it is you don't see a lot of persuadable. I mean, there are a couple of things. One, you don't see a lot of persuadables watching the State of the Union. It's a commitment, right? It's an hour and whatever, an hour and change plus the pre and post game. Let's not even talk about the response for a minute. Let's just do pre post game and the thing itself is an hour and change and. Even if you are the best order in the world, it is still a dense thing to kind of get through. You have to sit through policy proposals. It may or may not, you know, it may have an arc, but you still need to get through sort of the laundry list of things that are important for the president to communicate to Congress, the world, activists, party leaders, and so on, like, here's my agenda, here's what I'm going to do. And at some level, they're talking, you know, to the the government and people who really follow and work with the government more than they're talking to swing voters, because that's just not how swing voters process, um, you know, process politics or process political speech. It's just too, it's just a heavy, a heavy experience, no matter who you are or how the whole thing is set up. And there's a lot of clapping and interruption. And there's like, who's looking at Who's looking where? Who's falling asleep? Who's looking at their iPad? All of that, right? So there's all all that stuff. So it is really like a, a bit of a show for the people who kind of work in the biz. And so I'm not surprised that it doesn't really move anybody. I don't think it's going to move anybody for President Trump either. I think the post polling and qualitative, which is limited for reasons we're going to about to discuss, um, I think suggests the same thing, which is sort of mixed 
mixed slash positive, maybe. Right? I mean, I guess that's right. how you would put it together. Mixed slash positive, maybe. So, so see, <laughs> that's my uh, technical An- Anthony definition. Anthony Salvanto at CBS News, sort of really quickly after the speeches were over, I had packed up my stuff at ABC Radio. I had come home. Uh, and saw that he had tweeted out the re- react that their their snap poll results, which were f- very favorable to the president of those who watched the speech. 75% said they approved. Um, the party ID of those who watched was much more Republican. 42% were Republicans. Only one out of four were Democrats, which is not representative of what the American right. electorate looks like. Um, Despite my tweet storm, tweet fight with uh- – John McLaughlin about <laughs> at the party idea. Well, that's a separate issue, right? But even, <laughs> right. you know, when they did ask, you know, did you like the speech or not? I mean, the speech got really good numbers, even among independents uh, who tuned in to watch the speech. So I tweeted out, like, look, with, with all the caveats aside that this is a skewed audience and blah, 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 the White House is probably happy with these numbers, right? Like, right. I fairly, like, I... And uh, Ariel Edwards-Levy kind of tweeted the same thing. And my uh, ABC News colleague, Matt Dowd, uh, decided to tweet at both of us that people who know what they're doing in polls never would look at a poll like this. So I guess Ariel and I don't know what we're doing in polls. I mean... So even though like the past, the previous couple tweets I had tweeted all laid out those caveats, it was immediately followed by, look, I don't think that they're worth less. I don't think they're worth very much. Right. Are they able to capture... I mean, I guess there are a couple things. Well, first of all, the CNN had a different party breakdown and had more sobering results. And I guess there are a couple different people. Like, what are we trying to measure? We're trying to measure the instant reactions. And so these these polls do that. You know, they measure the – uh, I don't think these polls purport to say, da-da, this is now a new dawn has come for the president and he, he's finally presidential or whatever, you know? Is that on your, your bingo card? <laughs> he's finally the – post, the post-analysis bingo card? This I was, was the moment so, he became president. I was so angry. I was like – I could not – I was just hate-watching and I just went to bed in a huff like five minutes before the end. I was just like, oh, I couldn't – I couldn't stand – I couldn't – I mean, I had a really hard time watching like the stories and the emotional – like, I don't know, just sort of talking about the suffering of all these folks in a way that was not linked to, like, compassion or optimism was just only meant for, like, making people feel scared of others and and the race element and, and then the story about the woman who – about the mom and the police officer and his wife who adopted the mother who they didn't even name or talk about. They're just like, this woman, who knows? She was garbage. And so this family adopted this baby in a way that was so cringe. I mean, I'm not saying she was garbage. That was how the White House communicated. And it was so, and the like kneeling, the, all of it. Oh, just like reliving it and getting angry about some punch hole in Kristen's wall because it just made me so angry. I, the the the, the uh, defector from North Korea holding up his yes. crutches was that to me like that really was the got me. That was the I, highlight. I, I agree. I will remember. I, I have watched countless of these State of the Unions. I, like I think the one that we did at NPR, the big thing I remember out of that was that like salmon – Obama said something about salmon and like in the word cloud of like, what do you remember from the speech? Like 
salmon was the thing. Like there are weird things that pop, but I will remember. You remember a lot remember, more. I, I just remember, remember my sandwich. Marlise <laughs> and I remember nothing. Marlise and the sandwich store. That's it. So yeah. So All so, I remember that was my word. Glad I was like sandwich. <laughs> so so see, as as we mentioned, CBS had you know their snap poll had pretty positive uh, reaction. CNN similarly, but what's good about the CNN one is it provides not just here's what people thought, but also the context. Do people who watch these speeches typically like them? Uh, and so on the one hand, you can look at CNN's data and say, wow, 70% of people who watched the speech said they thought that it, it was positive. Um, almost half had a very positive view. But in context, that's actually usually how this goes. Right. Um, that if you look at Barack Obama's last State of the Union, very positive was 53%, another 20% somewhat positive. So, I mean, you go back through, it's hard to find, I mean, Obama in 2010, right before, not right before, a couple months before, uh, you know, the midterm elections really right. had to swing, was his was one of his lowest ratings. Same thing in 2014, those midterms when Republicans did well. Yep. That's when his very positive is below 50%. But right. again, I mean, this, this is still like overwhelmingly positive. So these numbers tend to be pretty good. I think if I'm the White House, I would feel happy about how the speech was generally received in a kind of do no harm sort of way. But right. I mean, these polls are of, of sort the of soft bigotry think, of low expectations, I, I just, you might say, I, I, that yeah. we have to, toward the president. I, right? that's like, how, I would say that's, I mean, the anytime you can get almost any poll sample that's not strictly a poll sample of Republicans to give a majority or significant majority positive view to something that Donald Trump does is notable, which right. is why I thought this is notable. Right. And th this CNN poll was also more Republican than Democratic, but it was not as wide of a gap as the CBS poll. But again, it reinforces this thing, which is, you know, people are going to watch because they're interested in what the president has to say. If you, you know, not many people are, are you know, fewer people are hate watching. If you really just kind of get ill at the thought of the president, of President Trump enjoying the, and the, the pageantry and formality of the office of the president, as I do, you know, <laughs> you might not watch it. You might tune out, which, a lot, you know, a lot of folks in my network did. So it's not a surprise. They had 31 Republican, 26 Democrat. The C CBS poll was more um, Republican than that. It was 42-25, as, as you noted. But um, but both show that same pattern. And it explains that difference in party explains the differences between the two polls. One thing that I thought was interesting, and this was in the CBS poll, which remember was, you know, very Republican. They asked, which do you think is more important? What should Trump try to do more of? Appeal to all Americans, even the ones who disagree with him, or stand up for his supporters and take on his critics? And three-fourths. So that means Republicans, not just Democrats and independents, said he should appeal to all Americans, not just the ones, you know, including the ones who disagree with him. So. I, I do think that it is interesting um, that you still have that 25%. It's like, no, stand up to your supporters, take on the critics. That number keeps coming up. 24 to 27% are yeah. always in the like super MAGA corner. Right. I'm, it's And it is question after question after question that seem unrelated, whether it's like who takes the most hardcore view on immigration or who is like, yes, let's go bomb North Korea right now. Or like, yes, his tweeting is presidential on all of these different seemingly unrelated metrics. The same number, about right. one out of four, keeps coming up. Yeah. Over and over and over. Yep. So, and then 
there was a qualitative focus group that we should just mention by Rich Tao. I love Rich Tao. Oh, I don't know him. He's fantastic. So he, I've done a bunch of projects. I never heard of Engage Us before. So I think it's the, a new. I think it's he used to be have a firm called Presentation Testing. I think this is a new mm. exciting venture for him. But I'm a I'm a big Rich fan. Well, so it was done the Bipartisan Policy Center. And USA Today was there, or at least had an exclusive in the write-up, conducted by Rich Tao and Engages. And it was done in D.C. with swing voters, which I'm not totally – I mean, I guess they picked that location for a reason. That's not where one goes to reach swing voters typically. Stand by. I have like a, a purely – this is a professional ask of our listeners – are there any more focus group facilities in D.C.? Mm. Well, there's the one in Bethesda. There's Bethesda. There's Alexandria. But there's yes. I, I mean, I had my staff last week for something calling around. The polling company does not is no I longer could well. not find anywhere that still had an operating facility mm. in the District of Columbia. If you are a listener and you offer this service, I need to hire you for something. Yes, but you <laughs> must to have. Us. Well, it was. I wonder where they held this. Right. This group. may not have been in like one of the. We've got the one-way mirror yes. and the whatever. Right. I don't know. I'll email Rich. I'll but find this out. included <laughs> a swing voter from Tacoma Park, and uh, as well as some other places. And so, anyway, uh, you know, I just I looked at houses in Tacoma Park. Okay, <laughs> are you a swing voter? Well, no, I guess not really. <laughs> if I lived in Tacoma Park, I might be. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, right, exactly. Um, so, you know, so anyway, now I'm not saying everybody in Tacoma Park is of one mind, but I, you know, I guess people come to DC. The reason I guess it's hard to find a, a facility here is. Because people don't come here like when you're coming up with, and I should talk about what people in my focus groups I did this week had said that they had done a previous group. But where you're going around the country and you are trying to figure out like, okay, what market should we go to? This is kind of a question you have with clients. Okay, well, we want something in the West or I want a market that's, you know, high tech or I want a market that's, you know, manufacturing or a market that's, you know, whatever. Whatever your different considerations are, you would not pick D.C., it, for the most part, if you, unless you are like, I want to talk to like, you know, policy, political, highly engaged. Like if you were like, you would probably say, I don't know, that's a weird market. Certainly if you were doing political work, you would not come to DC for any reason, unless you needed to talk to like DC insiders. Yeah. If you are, you know, in New York or Chicago or Denver, and you are trying to figure out where to go for your project, you probably would not come to D.C. So I could see why that would be a and challenge. And if you were doing consumer groups, you wouldn't come to D.C. Right. proper. You would go to Alexandria. You'd right. You'd be Bethesda. like, I'm perfectly fine going to Bethesda. I don't need to be in downtown D.C. So um, anyway, so they did a focus group. And I'm not sure we should ask Rich or Twee Rich. It said, overall, the dozen voters in the group rated the speech, quote, on the plus side of mediocre. I don't know if that's like they came to a consensus or if that was an answer category or that was like Rich's average or just how he, or just how this word is, how this is phrased in the article. I don't know the answer to that, but that's so, and it's qualitative obviously. So it's not like there was the average and the average is X and X here is on the plus side of mediocre. That's not, you know, that's a qualitative response, but, um, but I'm just a little curious about like what the range was. Was this was the range narrow and it all sort of revolved around on the plus side of mediocre, or was the range wide? And this is where sort of the midpoint was. But anyway, that's consistent with the other polling, I guess. Yep. Well, in the states, even though we've seen this increase in Donald Trump's job approval, sort of nationally, uh, Gallup has taken a look 
looking ahead toward the midterms. Are the states themselves getting redder, bluer? What's going on? Um, and what they find is that the uh, over the last year or so, there have been some states that were Republican states uh, that have shifted to become competitive. There were states that Gallup finds that were competitive that have now become more solidly Democratic, um, and no states moved to the right. Right. Roger, what's going on with this? So Gallup did he, Gallup released a couple different pieces of analysis where they looked at all their 2017 polling and averaged it. So you have really high end sizes, and you can look at the different state level. It's not as fine tuned of an instrument in a temporal way as like the average for the generic, which right now, or the average for Trump's approval rating, which right now, both those numbers are improving a little bit for Republicans. And we're going to talk about that. But that if you look at all of 2017 in the aggregate, that doesn't really bode so well for Republicans. And so the Gallup by uh, Trump approval by state, rather than sort of go too far in the weeds on this, but you should, folks should look at the map. And they had color-coded the map, whether Trump's approval was 50% or higher, 40 to 49% or below 40%. So remember, he's like roughly 40% nationally. Maybe their 2017 average was, I guess, a little bit lower than that. But here's – there are a couple things that are particularly interesting here. So – the first one is, you know, which of these states are sort of swing states that have battleground, sta- you know, battleground races and what's going on with Trump there. So one I look at is Minnesota. Minnesota is typically a blue state, but it was kind of on the cusp in 2016 in the presidential. There are a lot of things at the top of the ticket in Minnesota. There's also congressional, you know, battleground congressional races. That's in the below 40% area along with California, Oregon, Washington, New York, Maryland, et cetera. And Texas. Texas. Yes. Minnesota and Texas. I mean, that is so we have, you know, working on some various candidates in Texas. You know, Hillary Clinton was in within single digits in Texas in 2016. You have a governor's race and you have a Senate race and you have a bunch of congressional races, congressional races in districts where Hillary Clinton won that are held by a Republican. And part of it is you know, part of it is you have a high percentage Latino in, in a lot of these districts. That's one way you, if you're a congressional district that you get to be in the battleground list is by having a high Latino percentage. The other way is, or, you know, there's lots of ways, but one other way is you have a high college educated suburban area. And so the, some of the Texas areas are that are in that space. Um, but then you also have, if you look at sort of the, what was formerly known as the blue wall coined by, uh, Ron Brownstein. So you have Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, which are in the 40 to 49% bucket for Trump approval. So they are more favorable toward Trump than Texas. And that is, you know, those are the areas where you've seen some weakening for Democrats and Trump did well, maybe overperformed, et cetera. Minnesota is still the exception for, of that. It was the, one of the states that did not go to Trump. Um, anyway, Virginia is now kind of is also in that space too. So, you know, everything has been, I mean, this is, you know, obviously good news for Democrats. Um, it is similar to what, you know, similar trends to what Gallup found looking at party ID in the same kind of analysis where everything had moved democratic in some form or fashion, maybe not to become a democratic state, but moved in that direction. No state moved in the opposite direction to become more Republican, making that similar to other 
wave years. So all that is really good news for the Democratic side. However, there's some recent polling from Monmouth and other places and tightening. So what does that mean? On yeah, the so there side? are there are mixed messages here. Uh, as I mentioned, when we were talking about uh, the president's job approval, there has been a slight uptick in Republicans' fortunes on this generic ballot question. Are Republicans poised to lose the House? Um, who would you rather have in charge of Congress? Uh, the 538 average for this at the moment sits at Democrats 46.4% on average. Uh, people saying they'd rather have Democrats in charge of Congress. 40.7% for Republicans. Uh, you'd, you'd rather be up than down on this measure. Republicans, because of the way many districts are shaped, are, are sometimes able to hang on to majorities, even if they are not winning outright on this question. Um, but you don't want to be down by six or more going into election day if you're the GOP. And and I mean, that's that's scary numbers. However, it's better than where we were about two or three months ago. And as I said, I think part of this has to do with the tax bill. So in the Monmouth poll, they asked people, uh, do you approve or disapprove of that landmark tax reform plan? And when they asked in December, it was 26% approve, 47% disapprove. We talked on the show about how, like, is this going to be bad for Republicans? And just I think the the fact of passing something uh, in and of itself is, hey, look, government functions. And um, so whether it's that or headlines about bonuses and or whatever it is, because I don't think people's actual paychecks have changed yet. Right. I don't think they've updated withholding tables. Um, but to get back to 45 or pardon me, 44 approve, 44 disapprove, that's a huge improvement over where that law stood in terms of public opinion in December. So maybe it is not as big of a weight around people's necks at this point as there were worries it might be. Right. So I don't know, you know, I mean, look, obviously Republicans have indicated that this is where they're going. I mean, they're going, right? There was a story where somebody, a Republican, I forget who, was quoted saying, if you're we're not talking about taxes, everything else is a waste of time. And so, you know, I guess – there are, are there may be a shortage of other things to talk about on the Republican side. If I could be, you know, if I could put it gently, um, and is the rebound in the tax? So that doesn't necessarily mean that like people will vote based on the tax plan per se. It just may mean this is a better place for Republicans to have a conversation than on you know a variety of other things, um, and, you know, and and has the rebound in numbers come from uh, people being you know hearing good news about the you know economic indicators or just not hearing more bad news i mean is it as simple as that is it because they're like digging into the tax plan they're like oh i actually like it more is it because they're getting communications from their from republicans probably not either of those things it's probably like it, it, you know i'm not hearing more bad news about this one thing Right. Yeah. It, it may be as simple as that. And so what happens when can we continue? Can either side continue to have a conversation about taxes going forward? Is there more appetite for that? We don't know. We'll see. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google career certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast growing fields like IT support project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online, so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates.
Well, one of the things when you talk about tax policy that always comes up is our is our government favoring the middle class, favoring the wealthy, favoring the poor? How is it changing changing that mix of things? And Pew has done a study um, finding out what people think about whether the government does not enough, the right amount, or too much for various groups of people. In general, 65% of Americans say that they think the government doesn't do enough for older people. For younger people, that number follow, falls a bit to only 51%. So a little more concerned that the government's not doing enough for the old than for the young. And in fact, 13% of Americans think that the government does too much for young people. When asked about people's socioeconomic status, uh, poor people and middle class people, about 62% think that the government doesn't do enough to help poor people. Um, but 15% who think that the government does too much. Pretty much the only group, that the group where there's the lowest amount saying government doesn't do enough or pardon me, government does too much is the middle class. Right. Uh, and when you then break it out by political partisanship, how do, what do people think about, does the government do enough uh, for young people? Republicans are pretty split. Democrats are like, no, we're not doing enough for young people. 69% of Democrats say we're not doing enough for young people, but for Republicans, it's only 29%. 40 point drop. So yeah. we're, there's there's much smaller partisan divide about the need for the government to do more for older people, but for young people, Republicans are like, eh, no, you guys are good. Which then in the Gen Forward NBC University of Chicago millennial poll, looking at the other side of the equation, okay, so Republicans say, hey, young people, I, I don't think the government needs to be doing more for you. And then when they say to millennials, do you think the Republican Party cares about yeah, people message like received. you? <laughs> message received. Only 27% of millennials think that the Republican Party cares about people like them. Yeah. And it's broken out you by- You care and not have it just be government doing more for people would be the center-righty argument, but I digress. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, this empathy thing, and and maybe, you know, I guess it cares. I guess there's also a question of cares or does, and this fact that it's cares is not about the 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 gen forward NBC, University of Chicago question is, do, do you think the Democratic Party or Republican Party cares about people like you? The Pew question is, how much help does the federal government provide? So it's a little bit different because you could care – but not necessarily provide anything. Which is the center-righty argument. Yeah. Although, you know, <laughs> right? <clears throat> but I think they're it's probably... Tough it's tough love. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, but CARES is more... I mean, CARES is a little bit more of a sort of... You could probably communicate CARES, and but not provide anything whatsoever, I guess. But... Um, but I think for a lot of people, that's those things. Those are, two poles juxtaposed next to each other was very yes. like ah yes okay these yes. these pair well. Okay. Um, then the other thing that Pew has put out uh, this week is a really interesting kind of uh, deep in the weeds nerd nerdy study yeah. um, about we should set out some little siren yeah we'll tell our producer <laughs> alert alert <laughs> uh, that so we you can do surveys online and Pew did this report um, about two years ago about the how closely do these online surveys match up to the estimates from, you know, big government, high quality studies. Um, if you do a survey using online panel X, how close is it going to be to actual reality as best we can tell? Um, what they've done now is said, look, uh, one of the things that makes a lot of these online polls different is that 
pollsters have different weighting schemes. We have different assumptions. The margin margin. That's right. The margin margin that we load into polls um, when we decide how do, what do we want our sample to look like. And so what Pew has done is looked at the different weighting schemes you can do. So some like YouGov, the infamous sample I, they have a very complex weighting scheme um, that they use to identify or to create their samples. But there are other weighting schemes that are much simpler. Sometimes when I do telephone polls, um, we use simple, it's called raking, right. is the weighting technique. It's the simplest one out there. Right, because raking, so you move, like if you have two different variables, right, instead of figuring out, let's say you have gender and party. So instead of looking at, you know, weighting by the individual cells of gender by party, right, which would, let's say, is a two by two or two by three matrix, you would just wait by gender and then wait by party and then wait by gender and then wait by party and the cells, like with a rake going in different directions, the inside cells would turn and out this is to be the, perfect, this right? Is what, that, the, I think this is what the, the, the wonderful computer machine does. Yes. <laughs> but so I, I'm, I'm being flip about that's it. But, right. but, but raking is considered, I think in the Pew Report, they call it the most basic waiting technique. Basically what they find is that it doesn't really matter how – complicated the statistical technique is that you're using, what matters is are you choosing the right variables to wait on? So typically a survey, like at a minimum, a survey is going to wait on gender, age, race, education level. Increasingly, people are looking at education. uh, Making sure you're geographically balanced. That's kind of like the basics that that you just do. Uh, It is controversial whether you wait on things like party ID. Do you wait on things like ideology? Um, this is something that at the firm where I used to work, we would do. And it was, and, but there are other pollsters that believe very strongly waiting on party ID is not something you should do. Um, for most projects I've done at Echelon, we try to avoid waiting on party ID unless like there's an oversample we need to deal with or something like that. And um, not all places have party reg because not all states have party registration. If you're using a photo file, you might have a partisan right. score, which is, so you know, there's not a something you can tie like, to the file. But if you're doing a national poll, you don't necessarily have even – even kinds of stats across states because I can states- know with relative accuracy in certain states that X percentage of people who are registered voters in the states are registered as Republicans. Right. And so when I do my poll of registered voters in this state, I know that if my poll is going to be representative of those people, it needs to have that percentage of people. Right. But that's different from party ideology. That is party different ID from party because from that's self flu- ID. That's fluid. You could wake up today and be like, you know, I'm annoyed about something. And so, you know. I really liked, you know, Joe Kennedy's response, and I'm a Democrat today. You know, you can do that even if you've been registered Republican for 30 years. But what this finds is that waiting on political variables did help improve uh, the – accuracy is not the right word, but it, it made the, the studies have less bias in them. Um, so th- to me, that was very interesting. I mean, it has all sorts of cautions about, look, you can't just say, oh, well, it's an opt-in survey, but I'll survey like 8,000 people and I'll just wait the ever-loving bejesus out of it and it'll be fine. That it found that having a larger sample actually didn't change things. The only thing that really made, helped you overcome the shortcomings of an opt-in survey was, are you waiting on the right variables? And political variables were important. And typically when they were waiting on political variables, it made the survey a little more Republican. So good to know. This is all part this is all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. So 
to end the show, let's yes. talk about the big game. The big game. <laughs> Come at me. Come at me, Goodell. Come at me, Goodell. Uh, our friends at Monmouth did a study of what do people think about the uh, upcoming Super Bowl because Monmouth is in New Jersey. Is it in a, the part of New Jersey that's closer to Philadelphia? No. Okay, then never mind. But it is closer to Philadelphia than to Boston. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that fact check true. So, uh, so they, they asked, uh, which do you think will be more interesting, the game or the commercials? 36% say game, 49% say commercials. And I'm trying to avoid spoilers for the commercials. I know. I don't like that they're all being released early. If you're going to spend that much money to put an ad on a show, let it be a surprise. And Patrick Murray from Monmouth, when we pushed out the, the and we highlighted the ads question, you care more about the ads or the game, and he tweeted, I knew you guys would like that question. <laughs> yes. He knows us well. He knows us well. <laughs> I, know. I know people are going to start like trolling the pollsters with their, with their questions, right? Um, and then... The other question, which, and I get it, right? It's funny, like, uh, well, first of all, I love this question. We'd be rooting against the Eagles or the Patriots. It's sort of like an exit poll question, like, (laughs) did you vote, was your vote for Trump or against Hillary Clinton? Like, it's kind of, it's, it kind of reminds me of that question. Yeah, and it looks like there's really only about, well, it says, first, who will you, will you be rooting for the Philadelphia Eagles or New England Patriots, or doesn't it matter? 37% say they're rooting for the Eagles. On the subsequent question, 39% say they are rooting against the Patriots. So can we say that there is a 2%, uh, 2% of the sample is, is a never Belichick? <laughs> <laughs> hashtag, hashtag never Brady. I don't uh, know, right? I don't know. Um, but then this last question so I, guess, I might say I'm a don't matter, but rooting against the Patriots. I mean, I don't know. I guess I guess I'm I'm really kind of a I don't care for all of these questions. Uh, see, I if I'm being honest. I my husband's a Patriots fan, mm. so I feel like I'm gonna. Root yeah, me. and I love Rob Gronkowski. He's just ridiculous. He's just a ridiculous person. I'm just there for In the ads and the cheese. Way. Like that's really all I'm there for. Um, <laughs> but then this last question, so. Uh, the internet has become fond lately of pushing out, uh, photos, video clips of Philadelphia sports fans being, um, unusually and violently excited about their team's, uh, advancement to the Super yeah. Bowl. Um, for more on this, listen to our friend Jonathan V. Last at The Substandard, who has been talking about this nonstop for the last few weeks and, and is it, a crazy Philadelphia sports fan. If you want to really go back to the Wayback Machine, the podcast 99% Invisible has, which is all about design, it's very cool, But and they have a older episode, I'm sure they're going to push it back out again, about the um, the beginnings of the Philly What's the mascot's name? The Philly, whatever that thing is. It's the like, fanatic. Yes, the oh, Philly that's baseball. Fan- oh, okay. Never mind. Then. <laughs> Forget it. I had to, my parents grew up in the Philly area. I had a stuffed Philly fanatic. It's kind of terrifying. Oh, that's like not this. Animal, You're right. But- of course, that's not an eagle. That's a that's like a blob. Okay. All right. Well, now that makes sense. I was feeling Does like I was really eagle? I was really giving people like some insider <laughs> info. <laughs> The big dragon it. thing with the snout. Yeah. Yeah, that's the Philly fanatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, never mind. <laughs> you, you know, it's still <laughs> worth listening to. Okay, I don't have much to say, but I do, in honor of our third anniversary, so overall, the state of the union is divided still, I'm afraid, but the state of our podcast is strong. 
And whether you are hate watching the State of the Union or hate watching the Super Bowl, you should love listen to the pollsters. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters individually at, at Margie O'Mara and at K. Soltis Anderson. You can find us on Facebook where we post links throughout the week to the stories we think you will want to hear about. And you can also find us at www.thepolsters.com. Thanks. Bye.